Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, your favorite podcast, episode 23. Football is in full swing. We've got playoff sports coming too. As always, Beers, Business, and Balls is brought to you by Anchor and our friends at Dugout Creative. Again, code BBBPOD for 15% off your order at Dugout Creative. My name is Jake. I've got my co-host Will with me. And Will, we've got just a weird time for football. Week two was um, mayhem in more ways than in one. Um, half the NFL is injured. Half people's fantasy teams are shot. So this is fun, but we've got football back. So I guess we can't really complain. Yeah, this week brought to you by the Grim Reaper. Like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, lack of better terms, holy shit. I, I thought, you know, week one, we saw a decent amount of injuries. Um, going back and just looking at the list, Michael Thomas, George Kittle, Le'Veon Bell, James Conner. Um, James Conner ended up bouncing back uh, yeah, exactly. in week two. But still, like, we're like, okay, like, those are some big names. And then any time I was watching football on Sunday, it was just player after player. Well, that list was ridiculous um, that they put on red zone. They're going down, and I'm listening to Scott Hansen read the names. I go, what the fuck? What happened? <laughs> Nick Bosa, Drew Locke, Solomon Thomas, Saquon Barkley, Paris Campbell, Jerry Judy, Cam Akers, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Cortland Sutton. I mean – and then you get their backups getting hurt. You have Cam Akers gets hurt, and then Malcolm Brown goes out there, and he gets hurt too. It's like, what the hell? What's everyone going thought, on? Everyone thought football would have been somewhat canceled or compromised with COVID, and they've administered over, what, 50,000 tests? A lot of tests. Yeah. And zero, yes. case, zero cases, but we might not make it to week seven because there's going to be no one playing. Personnel issues. <laughs> like, there's just going to be no one playing. You, you, there's going to be like, obviously teams have practice squads to fill up their 52 man roster, but you're not going to have guys like going out there. It's like, it's literally going to be JV against a varsity team. Yeah. Whoever Especially when I mean, you have teams like, like really shitty teams that go up against uh, like the, the, the jets, like when the jets play a good team, they're fucked. <laughs> they're so fucked. And yeah. we talk a lot about that and more. The Browns, the Indians, college basketball with our guest, who you all know, John Fanta, the GOAT, uh, Big East Digital and Fox Sports. And now he's doing some work for Indians Baseball Insider, IBI. Um, the man is a Cleveland legend and our first recurring guest. I think it was episode 12 we had him on. That was in the tonsil days. So... We recorded it a couple of weeks before. I mean, the man spits just incredible stuff every time. And just every time we talk to him, it hits. I love that guy. I love him. Yeah, it was awesome having uh, John on the show again. I mean, he we got a lot of great reviews when he was on. And, I mean, he's a, he's a fun Twitter follow. He's a great guy overall. Just such a – has so much knowledge about not just college basketball, all sports. I mean, I could talk to him for hours about sports and we hope you enjoyed the interview but yeah i mean college the biggest news out of all of it was just college basketball returning i mean we yeah, have a great. date we have a date so looking forward to that in the near future yeah this is really good and what surprised me about fanta too is he's a big beer guy actually he, he loves his great lakes beer um and there's a lot of good beer in cleveland too in northern ohio so 
that's just the icing on the cake. So without further ado, let's review some beers of our own. Um, we, we've got some good selections. They're local. So North Fork Brewing Company, we go. Will Tonda, you've got a good selection there. Yes. Yeah, so first off, cheers. We're going to, you know, cheers to the fall. The weather changed a little too quickly than I wanted. Overnight, uh, pretty much. Overnight. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could I be love 43 the- degrees in Providence tonight, too. I love the fall weather. I love, you know, wearing jeans and sweaters and, and pants and boots and shit. I mean, I, I'm a fall guy. I mean, I love the summer, but still. But I have Butternut the Hut. It's a pumpkin yam beer from our friends over oh. at North Fork Brewing Company. Shout out to uh, the owner and head brewer, Ian, uh, Ian Van Borgendine, good friend of the family. So Butternut Squash Ale. Uh, with seasonal spices and local squash from a local farm in Riverhead. And it's hand roasted by the brewers. Great fall beer. It was a good way to kick off the, um, the colder weather, the fall season. So I'm giving it a 375. Uh, I, again, I'm going to be writing up a blog in the next coming weeks about just some top fall beers. I mean, again, my number one cream of the crop fall beer. And I'm not going to say the score yet, but it's a five, uh, is the... What, what was that? <laughs> like, I'm not going to say the score, but here's the score. I mean, if you go to my untapped and be like, oh, Will only has three beers that are rated five out of five. But you've said it on air, too. Like we. <laughs> well, it's it's the pumpkin maple. It's the pumpkin yeah. maple oh, from yeah. Cook okay. and Current. But this is still a very good alternative. Uh, love supporting lo- local breweries as well. So 375, and if you're in the North Fork area, stop by to North Fork Brewing Company. Yeah, I feel like what we just learned about these is that it's not the, you can't just like brew it with pumpkin and squash and that kind of stuff because it's not like, it's just going to taste like a fucking gourd or something, you know? So people do really well when they spice the shit out of it. And I think North Fork, it sounds like, I mean, it was just spice and squash and that's that's all they did. And that's a beer that I would like to have at some point for sure. Um, it's fall beer season. We're, the pumpkin beers are starting to come in and fuck all of you that gave me crap for liking pumpkin beer, first of all. Come on, be nicer to me. I love pumpkin beer. Um, we've got one coming. I am going to review something from Trillium this week. It is called Foggiest Window. Um, I had the extreme pleasure of going to Trillium, meeting up with... Uh, the Boston beer guy, Ryan Denson, who, as you know, very good friend of our show, very good friend of ours. Uh, he, I, I texted him on Saturday. It was funny. Go, yeah, I'm going to Trillium today if you want to swing by. I don't know what the deal with reservations is. And then he just goes, yeah, that's the same time I have a reservation at Trillium as well. So it worked out. We both started drinking the same thing. Foggiest Window. They collabed with Monkish Brewing Company out in Cali. Two of the titans of hazy IPAs, Trillium. And Monkish, uh, hot profile is great. Citra Nelson Galaxy was very aggressive, and it was one of those that is just thick, and it has a bite to it. You can almost take a bite out of it. Um, I gave it a 4.25. If I had it again, I'd probably give it a 4.5. So it was hot out. Trillium uh, did a, another great job with their outdoor seating and stuff right outside Fenway. So sign me up. And we're going to have a lot of fall beers to review. Stout season's coming up. I don't like that. I, I, and, and, I'm looking forward to stats. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I just don't like how quick it is. Oh, yeah. But still, so, nothing, nothing beats a good stout by the fire. That's for sure. We have a lot of stout in the fridge that we like, need to drink, too, at yeah. some point. Uh, that'll be fun. 
we'll go through business real quick and then we'll talk about, you know, just some very basic football stuff um, before we hop into our interview with John. I feel like the two business storylines I've been following pretty much every episode is Tesla and TikTok. Tesla, by the time this episode comes out, it's battery day. Everybody has been saying, hold Tesla for battery day, hold it for battery day because it's going to shoot up. So sit back and relax, folks. We made it. This is the point where you have the stock or you don't. And if you have it, you are just, you're sitting down, you got a nice cold beer in your hand, and you're like, all right, what's, what, whatever this is going to do, this is going to do. If I'm rich, I'm rich. If not, whatever. So, Yeah, I mean, I wrote a blog about it today. Um, had a couple notes already jotted down for it before I wrote the blog. But Elon Musk, it was supposed to happen in May. They pushed it back because of COVID. But for those of you who don't know who, what Battery Day, Battery Day is, it's the annual uh, event that Tesla holds to meet with their stockholders as well as the shareholders, as well as give a tour of the facility. But a lot of different news pieces that are going to come out of this, uh, they're obviously going to talk about the price point of the Tesla models. You know, they're looking to make it a little bit more affordable. Uh, they're looking at the different range and the improved range on the battery life. But the biggest piece of news is they are in works of creating the million mile battery, which is literally a battery that as it says, for a car can last a million miles, but they're also saying it can hold a charge for over a decade. And this is just, <laughs> this is just part of Elon Musk and Tesla's vision of sustainable energy. So it will be a lot of great stuff coming out tomorrow. Um, I hope the stock rises. A lot of analysts, um, including Goldman Sachs as a whole, said the stock will rise. But Jim Cramer from uh, CNBC, he said, that it might, yeah, he, said it, <laughs> he said it might fall. Um, he said it might fall because he feels like uh, a lot of the news that is already out on Tesla, it, it's like no, there's nothing new that might come out of Battery Day. Uh, so it might disappoint, disappoint some investors, but let's hope it just goes up. Gamble. It's because you had previously in the coming days to this, Elon goes on Twitter a little bit. He talks to some shareholders. He talks to some analysts and says, yeah. You know, we're, we're really concerned about supply. And that was enough to take Tesla down and just throw it way out of whack. Very volatile the past couple of weeks. We'll see. I don't know. Again, it's one of those things that you just buckle up. And if you're on board, you're on board, right? And you can get off whenever you want, but you should probably get some gains before beforehand. So... Oh, I mean, one big thing, yeah, I mean, one big thing about Tesla, and we mentioned it a few weeks ago, was the stock split. They, they performed a five-to-one stock split. So it's more affordable now to get it. I mean, it's in the, you know, the $450 range. Um, so if you are considering it, I mean, it's a, it's a good stock to look at. I mean, you know that Tesla is a successful company. I believe it's the fourth straight quarter of straight profit, Yeah, which by term should land them on the S&P 500, but uh, nothing yet. So, I mean, I like I liked the stock. I like the company. Let's just hope that it lasts. Yeah, you just have to buckle up, like I said. Um, so battery day is Tuesday, September 22nd, the same time this episode drops. Keep an eye out, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say about it. The other storyline, TikTok. 
we all have been that's a talk about buckle up i mean we get new info every single hour i feel like on tiktok so we start from the beginning trump basically says okay we have to sell this to an american company to continue to operate in america they go back and forth last week the news was oracle's going to be their partner but they're not going to buy them Trump wants an American company to own a majority of TikTok at that point, so they didn't know if he'd sign off. And then on Friday, sounds like no. Trump says that TikTok downloads and updates and everything new in the app stores stop. So if you have TikTok, you have it. If not, you don't. Saturday, Trump goes and says, oh, yeah, you know, I approve the Oracle deal, actually. So TikTok partners with Oracle and Walmart to create a company called TikTok Global, which I think is pretty funny. Um, and that's where we are. We have TikTok Global. And it seems like it might be saved. Um, I mean, it's just back and forth. I think we're going to have to wait for Trump again, you know, to just – he could literally wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, yeah, I actually changed my mind. This isn't happening. It's so flip-flop. It's so wishy-washy. It's like if you want it all – if I don't know. I don't know. I mean, TikTok Global will definitely be interesting, especially now having Walmart as a backer. Um yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to say to it. It's just one of those things where it's like keep an eye out on the news, but we got to hold pat and see. Um, yeah, so we think- talked about we talked about Walmart and the their play for e-commerce data too. So I think that's another. It's a partnership between Oracle and Walmart. So now I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with like dividing their resources up. I really don't know. Yeah. Well, TikTok Global seems to be a thing. So keep your eyes out. We're gonna have something new for you i'm sure next week because this story changes almost every single day with them so that's what's going on in the stock land right now and big news to keep your eyes on let's talk real quick before we go into fanta's interview about football um we're going to be talking about the injuries we already talked about that at the beginning of the uh the podcast too there were way too many to go around so let's talk about our team's Patriots Seahawks in prime time on a Sunday night, nine to nine overall series, like a Super Bowl fuck up from the, the Seahawks a few years ago. A lot at stake, and that game delivered. Thirty five thirty is the final score. Russ versus Cam Newton. It was um, I as a Patriots fan. If that, that's how I wanted them to lose that game. I wanted them to go down swinging and have the game in their hands to fuck up at the end. I, that's what I wanted to happen. And we got it. And I, yeah, I, that's really all I've got on that. I mean, yeah, Cam Newton, it was definitely a, I mean, again, knock on wood because you have all these injuries and we talked about it last week. How long can Cam last, you know, with his style of play? Um, but right now he's a top 10 quarterback in the league. Uh, as we discussed before, I mean, a lot of quarterbacks yeah, are not performing to the standard that they should be. I mean, Drew Brees and Tom Brady are big names that stand out. It's like Father Time's catching up. Big Ben and Phillip Rivers are, you know, average at best. So the Patriots keep rolling. I mean, you got to be happy as a Pats fan for that game. Uh, I mean, it's a tough one. Cam Newton makes that, makes that touchdown nine out of ten times. Um, at the goal line, uh, the O line kind of just gave up on that play and got completely pushed back. Yeah, there was a few things that went wrong at the end there, and but I'm very happy with you know it was a 60 second drill for Cam Newton pretty much. He just charged down the field and tried to put it across, and he did well. I 
I think that he is, that I think fans, I should say, are starting to realize that he has the schematic help of the offense to help him do well. He has flexibility to do basically whatever he wants to do. He doesn't have the talent necessarily that the Patriots did have, but at the end of the day, you have fast guys that can catch. You have Edelman. You've got Nikhil Harry, who's another quick guy that can catch. Um, and then some other, you know, a good running back fleet. I mean, they, they looked good. I, I will say they looked comfortably good. Um, and I, I, I wasn't expecting that from the Pats this week. I mean, the offense wouldn't necessarily be the problem. I mean, the defense is the one that oh, yeah, the defense holds. Sure. Uh, yeah, they had the interception on, on Russell Wilson. That's great and all. But five touchdowns is still five touchdowns. You know, they looked like shit. The secondary if, looked like garbage. If, you know, you face it, and again, like Cam Newton carved up the Seahawks pretty well, and they're a top five defense in the league. Um, but if they face a team, you know, I don't know their schedule off the top of my head, but, you it's know, Raiders next week. So it, it, the offense is going to need to perform better than the defense. Well, rather, sorry, the defense is going to need to perform better than the offense. We know Cam Newton can run the ball. You know the receivers like Edelman are going to make the flashy plays. You know the running backs The running backs are going to be consistent. The defense is going to need to not let up five touchdowns. Yeah, that's for sure. And then almost in a polar opposite sense, we saw a very low-scoring game with the Giants and Bears. Um, that's another one where the Bears, it, it was like a seesaw almost. You know, Bears controlled most of that game. The Giants came back and, you know, made it interesting and threatened and had a shot to win it. But – how much can you do without Saquon? How much do you expect Daniel Jones to run point on an offense where, I mean, he doesn't have a lot he's working with. Deion Lewis is fine, right? But, I mean, where else are you getting your – the Giants intrigued the shit out of me. I'll leave it at that. They're, they're just they, – I want them to be good so badly. I really do. But just ain't happening this year. I mean, we knew the Giants were not going to be a contending team or a playoff team this year. I did expect them to play better. Uh, it's a tough schedule. I mean, going week one against the Steelers, you know, they held their own. It wasn't a blowout. It was still a close game. That's a very tough defense. Uh, the Bears, not as tough as the Steelers, but you still have Khalil Mack. You still have Eddie Jackson. You still have, um, you know, Ronnie Smith. You still have all those guys that are going to give the, offen the, the offensive line trouble. And Daniel Jones is going to need to make decisions quicker. Losing Saquon is heartbreaking. I mean, I hope the best for him. I hope that he can bounce back like Adrian Peterson did after his ACL tear in 2011 to win the MVP in 2012. Um, it's going to be brutal. I mean, one option, Devontae Freeman, former Falcons running back, came in for a workout this weekend, or this week rather, um, today. And, you know, he could be just a filler option. I don't really have too much trust in Deion Lewis as the one he is a I mean he's done it in the past but he is a guy that will make the flashy plays more as a slot receiver but he's not a pound and ground running back yeah I'd argue that he honestly has never really been a one you know even yeah. on the pats where he was getting heavy reps he was always behind guys like Blunt and um you know on just some of the, back, like, on, the on the Titans he was behind Derrick Henry yeah, exactly. He's still a it's very the same kind yeah. of build, right? You have a big jacked dude that can that's shifty, like Derrick Henry, like Eric Blunt, and then you pass to it, you, whenever he needs a break or you need to inject a little more speed in there. I mean, it's that's Deion Lewis's role. He, he can't command backfield. 
It was a tough loss. I mean, it sucked that, you know, at the end of the game after losing both Saquon and Sterling Shepard that they marched down the field and could not capitalize in the end zone with, you know, four seconds left. Um, but it was still, a, I mean, it was a sloppy game, but there was opportunities where they should have won. Evan Engram got caught slipping, caused an interception. That wasn't Daniel Jones's fault. Um, Daniel Jones did, however, fumble and, and turn over the ball. That's yeah. something that is concerning. But again, if you have an offensive line that can't create a run game and can't protect the quarterback, he's set up for failure. Everyone's already on the fuck Daniel Jones train and, and saying, oh, this is just another unfair. Eli. Well, one, Eli won two Super Bowls. So if you're going to start yeah. saying the whole Eli thing, piss off. He's in the later half of his career. He, had, he went from the best O-line to the worst. Yeah. So take that narrative right out of your head. It's not fair for Daniel Jones. And I don't blame Joe Judge it's either. Not. Or it's not. My, or uh, Jason Garrett. Like, the team still has holes. Like, and again, you face another impressive defense. Like, this week, we have the 49ers, which in the beginning of the season, I would have taken as an L. I'm still going to ride on the Giants, even though they lost Saquon. The 49ers are banged up. I mean, they are banged up. Yeah. <laughs> like, they have. They're without their quarterback and their best defensive rusher. I, I agree. If there's a time to capitalize, it's now for these folks. Especially when, like, not for nothing, the. The uh, NFC East is kind of trash. I mean, yeah, the Cowboys just squeezed away a win against the Falcons. Should have been a loss. I saw the stat. What was it? The first team ever to score, you know, 35-plus points and no turnovers and lost. I think that's 244 to one, and they're that one team that lost. Yeah. So, you know, the Cowboys are 1-1. One the Eagles are 0-2. Washington's 1-1. We're 0-2. Like, we can turn things around. Do I think they're going to do anything? Probably not. But to at least make a statement and protect your – you know, protect some people's jobs. I agree. So, but the Giants – The Giants to... are – yeah, the Giants are a mess. But I don't think, you know, Joe Judge will get fired from the season. I don't he think – shouldn't. That, no. No, I don't think Daniel Jones will get benched or anything or get questioned. It's going to be Dave Gettleman. The GM, who is a yeah. dumpster fire. I mean, enough is enough with him. His clock is ticking. Even it's been like only three or four years. We still think can the guy or what? It's got to. I mean, we're not. We're you know, it's not impressive to be, you know, getting a top five pick, a top ten pick. All right, like look at a team like the Bills. You know, they built up their young core, and now they're a playoff contender. Yeah. Like now they are a playoff contender and like they built their young core, but they capitalized it. We're building our young core and still being two and 14. Right. There's a lot of layers to the giants right now. And I think that the kinks will, the kinks over the next year or two are probably going to work themselves out. But again, Saquon now is a big hole. So that, that might be another conversation as well, but I don't know. The giants, uh, I mean, it's fair to say, and I don't like giving up on teams too early. The, the season is what it is for the Giants now. So, um, they're staying afloat. Pats look good. I think, you know, as we mentioned, it could be a playoff team. Um, but we'll see. We, we have a lot to learn about the New England Patriots this year. Um, big test against to, the Raiders again. We so. have a lot to learn about the NFL. I mean, you're yeah, talking yeah. about injuries from the 49ers were in the Super Bowl last year. They are going to – and they are in a tough division with the Rams, the Cardinals, and the Seahawks. The best division in football right now. They might have, you know, what happened a couple of years ago when Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL and they ended up landing Nick Bosa and turning it around. 
that might happen again this year. It it's like they fall to the bottom and then land a stud and then go back to the Super Bowl. Very well um, you have a guy, that's, you have a team a like the team. Panthers. The Panthers, again, that's a tough division, but they still were, they built a new team. They have a new coach. They were trying to turn things around post Cam Newton. You lose Christian McCaffrey for a few weeks. That's a huge hole. You have the Saints, which are always a contender, always end up like 12 and 4, 13 and 3. Uh, 14 and two, they lost Michael Thomas. How can they rebound from this? There's going to be a lot of question marks for the entire league on who makes the playoffs and who can contend. I mean, right now, like after the dud that the Chiefs just put up, I mean, they won, but like it wasn't anything impressive. They squeezed out of that. The Ravens are pretty tight. Yep. Like if I had a gun to my head, the Ravens are the team that are going to the Super Bowl. I think so too. I think you could argue the Seahawks belong there. Russell um, Wilson deserves an MVP, for God's sake. Like He might at this point. The guy has always been so good every and year. And that's why I'm up. really like happy with the way the Patriots played this week because they went out there and I feel no one bet on the fucking Patriots. Like No one was like, yeah, it's a, a, a weird new Patriots team is going to walk into Seattle and beat them. And – they held their own. They made noise. Yeah. Oh, they did. And I, I really appreciated Cam's effort. He's going to be very good. I think he's going to earn his money. And I, I hope he's with the Patriots a long time. I do. And that's week two. Um, that might change in two weeks because I feel like we're all going to get pissed at him for doing something stupid. But um, we'll talk more football with John in a couple minutes here. Let's talk some basketball. We're in the conference finals. Heat are now up 2-1 on the Celtics. The Lake Show's up 2-0 on Denver. Denver is a team that we talked about for the past couple of weeks, and you said um, that you, you like Denver, and you really do. You thought they were going to beat the Clippers, I think, and here they are. So they made it. Denver had a chip on their shoulder, and uh, they're – I guess it's going to be uh, – defeating the Lakers is going to be very tough. But you can't count any of these teams that – no one thought would be there to lay an egg at this point. Yeah, I mean that game winner that game winner from AD was just cold. That was cold blood. Yeah, it was cold. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean I like the Nuggets just for like I, I love the duo of Jamal Murray and the Joker. Um, you know, I thought the Clippers I mean I always said from the beginning like everyone was hyping the clip train. Like I still think the Lakers were the better team in Los Angeles. Um you know everyone was questioning really LeBron and Everyone was questioning LeBron and AD, uh, you know, their chemistry. But they're obviously doing very well. I still think the Lakers are going to win. Maybe the Nuggets can squeeze out one, but I had the Lakers coming out of the West anyway. But in the East, I mean, That's another you, the, you know, the Celtics needed that win. If the Celtics went down 3-0, they're gonna I fuck mean, the swept at that point. again, like we've seen crazier things, teams coming back from that. Um, but the Heat are just a dangerous squad. They well, how about Tyler Hero? He comes out of nowhere. I didn't even know he played at Kentucky until like a few weeks ago. This dude is incredible. Tyler Hero. Um, who was the guy that went from D3? Duncan Robinson? Yeah, Rob, yeah, who was a D3 player. Yep, exactly. I watched a video another day, like how the Heat, like, again, Pat Riley's one of the best GMs ever. Well, you talk uh, about Spolstra's coaching resume too. I mean, my God. Spolstra is a phenomenal coach, and a and a and a a play like the players love him. 
But yeah. the, the story of the Miami Heat, I mean, after you lose after you lose LeBron when he goes back to the Cavs and D Wade leaves and Chris Bosch is obviously his health injuries, you know, everyone's, you know, down in the down in the heat, but they made the right moves and they their scouting department, I'm like, like cheers to them because the scouting department found some gems. And again, going back to Pat Riley, I mean, he flipped two shit contracts to get Jamison Crowder and Andre Iguodala. And that's those no, are guys, that's those really are guys that win you games in the playoffs. Yeah, Crowder, he was just kind of getting there. He got exposed to that playoff environment in, uh, in Boston, obviously, and then you now playing against him. But you got a guy like Iguodala, who how many fucking rings does he have with Golden State? He's, He's been there three. before. Yeah. He knows. You know, he knows what it takes he to get there. He was finals MVP. And he can also sack up, and he's the type of guy why I respect Iguodala so much because he was never the guy over there. He was the first guy off the bench, you know, from Golden State. So he understands that, like, yeah, I might have a 20-year-old start over me, but I don't fucking care because if I can get a ring, then it's worth it. So, so. I mean, I think, I think the Celtics win one more, but I'll say Heat in, Heat in six. I think I was doing Heat and six too. Yeah, I think that was my pick. I don't even really know anymore at this point. I'm saying Lakers and five Heat and six. So Lakers Heat final. Who would have thought? I mean, Lakers Celtics would be pretty cool, but the Heat. Imagine that story. If it's Lakers Heat, it's look at this LeBron against the team that he left and won championships with, and now it's a new wave and they've successfully rebuilt. I mean, LeBron is on a mission. He's on a big fuck you tour after getting in my opinion, snub for MVP. Um, I knew Giannis was going to get the MVP. I knew, but I did not think that LeBron would only get 16 first place votes. Yeah, that's pretty That's kind of disrespectful. Not because it's it's LeBron, you know, like not even that narrative. It's just the fact that like, I mean, the guy, like take the name away, 17 seasons, He's still guiding his team to the finals and his stats. I mean, he led the league in assists. He was still like on the top of the net for points. And the guy's a highlight reel every day. Like I, I think the Giannis pick was definitely just the media, like, you know, fluffing him up. Oh yeah, it is, but whatever it's over and done with. And LeBron's not the MVP anymore. So (laughs) Uh, that'll be cool. I, I'm very excited for whatever matchup comes out of this. This is very good. I think it's good for the sport that it's not the Lakers and the, uh, or excuse me, the, uh, the Warriors anymore. Right. <laughs> so they, we just yeah. needed a break of like, and I would have loved to see Toronto for sure. Um, that obviously did not pan out, but NBA is going to be good. And the NBA finals, this will be the first one that I like seriously watch. I haven't really watched the watched it here and there every now and then, but this is going to be fun. Um, that's balls. And that's our portion of the show. Uh, again, we are brought to you as always by dugout creative BBB pod. Use it for 15% off at dugoutcreative.com. Very cool stuff. Now there are some delays with merch right now. They are, uh, out on the West coast. So it's very difficult to navigate the shipping system and whatnot with the wildfires and, and all that good stuff. So obviously, uh, we wish them well, but, if you order product, it's coming. I just got my New England shirt. It's shipped out uh, today. So, again, that's dugoutcreative.com, BBB pod for 15% off at checkout. 
And we got John Fanta, folks. He's back in the house. So hope you stick around for his interview. We spend close to an hour with him. We're talking the Browns, the Indians, uh, NFL, MLB. And we're also talking college basketball, which has been announced, will return on November 25th of this year. So without further ado, here is our friend, John Fanta. All right, everybody. With us is one of our good friends, recurring guest, John Fanta, our first recurring guest, actually. So we're happy to have John on. I mean, we've lasted long enough where we can have a recurring guest. So John, happy to have you back. How's everything? The big accomplishment. I feel like that's trophy worthy. You're going down to royalty, man. You, you are going down in the Beers, Business, and Balls Hall of Fame just by virtue of the first recurring guest, I think. Is that, is that an auto, like, at-large bid or what? Is that how this works? It is. It is. I feel like I've now racked up two quality victories by being on the BB&B podcast. <laughs> you know, I will expect my, my merchandise mug to come to me in the mail. I, I feel like that that's the prize that you get for being a reoccurring guest. We got you. We got you covered. Don't worry. We got some stuff we in the works. Carry you. We and I'll send you some Great Lakes Brewing Oktoberfest. Oh, there we go. Not, yeah, you're speaking our language now, man. That is a win-win. So for those of you who remember John all the way back, he was our college basketball first guest. Uh, talk about Big East and all things about college basketball, which we'll get on later in the show. But because he is right now in Cleveland, and he's covering the Indians. Um, we're going to talk about some Cleveland sports and just uh, other sports leagues first. So I guess we're going to have to, you know, get this one out of the way. The Cleveland Browns, your football team, as Twitter may know, you're, you are a big Cleveland Browns fan. We got to win. We got to win in the Battle of Ohio. How do you feel? I feel good. And I think that this past Thursday was a must win for the Browns. So you don't feel great. They took care of business. They reversed what they had done uh, the previous Sunday against the Ravens in losing 38 to six. And I think if there's any conclusion around the league through two weeks, it's that it's that Baltimore is in fact a Super Bowl caliber team, like we thought they may very well be. They have lived up to that billing. I mean, they commanded the Texans in Houston on Sunday. So I think for the Browns, they had to bounce back. But, guys, that was the best I've seen Baker Mayfield play since his rookie season. He was really in sync. He was firing pass as well. That Mayfield fastball that we've seen was really in line. He got everybody involved early on. But the biggest thing for the Browns, guys, is what do they have that other teams don't have? Well, they have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, the best running back duo in the National Football League. And when you invest in your offensive line like Cleveland did, they drafted Jedrick Wills who we haven't heard a lot about in the first two weeks. You know why? That's a good thing. When you're an offensive line, yeah. you're not heard from, it means that you're performing. So the Browns have a good offensive line. They have a running back tandem that is lethal. Mayfield then has pressure taken off of him. And I really felt like on Thursday night, Kevin Stefanski set him up for success. And the counter argument can be, John, it's, it's the Bengals. But last year, Baker Mayfield in two games against the Bengals. He went 12 for 24 and one. He went 11 for 25 in the other. And he had three picks combined against Cincinnati. So for Baker Mayfield, it really hasn't mattered who the opponent is. He's just been way off here uh, from his second season into game one against Baltimore. It was a get right game for him. 
obviously there's pressure on him. Like, is he going to, you know, get back to that mode that he was in his rookie season? I felt like he took a step forward uh, this past Thursday. He actually had the best QBR out of any NFL quarterback in week two. And so now the Browns, week three against Washington, another game that in Cleveland that they really are in a position to win, but can they now string some things together? I thought Kevin Stefanski coached a real good game on Thursday. The defense has issues, but you can get away with this league if you've got some defensive weaknesses. You cannot win in this league consistently if your offense can't score. And that must be when you go from 38 to 6 week one to then, you know, a a close game in 35-30, it's still a win, right? You put up 35 points, you scored more than the other team. I want to talk about your points about Baker, too. Baker Mayfield, we all know his story, widely touted out of school. They said he was going to be, you know, the next gunslinger, a, a career threat to anyone that he played against. Sure. And then he comes out and just does not do anything versus the Ravens and then has a really good game the next week. Do you chalk that up to just being the Ravens and then the Bengals? Or is there something, you know, what, what do you think about Baker and his talent as it's progressed through the years, I think? Well, I think that, that a big part of it is is that you're facing Baltimore, and that's a Super Bowl-caliber team, and then Cincinnati's one of the bottom five teams in the league still. So that's certainly part of it. But I also think it's – you didn't have a preseason. You're on your fourth coach in three years. So week one, going to Baltimore against a team that kept everybody in line, that knows what they're doing, that lost to Cleveland the year before in Baltimore. So the Ravens weren't going to overlook the Browns. When you combine all those things, it was doomsday. The, The Browns were doomed in that game. And so you flip the page, and they needed to flip the page. And I also think that for Baker Mayfield's production to happen right now, Jake, it's not going to come throwing the football 35 times. It's not going to come throwing the football 40 times. It's going to come with the run setting up the pass. Baker Mayfield does not have to be exceptional with the amount of talent around him. He's got Odell. He's got Jarvis. He's got Austin Hooper. um, He's got Canero Hodge, who looked really good this past Thursday. He's got Hunt and Chubb. Baker Mayfield doesn't have to be ungodly. He's just got to understand, play within himself. And I felt like, in week or last year that he was set up for failure empty backfield six step drops yeah an offensive line that wasn't performing you just saw on thursday there was a comfort level they don't have him taking six step drops they got him rolling out of the pocket play action they've got him on the move so that he doesn't have to look above his offensive line because here's the constant he's small he can't see over his offensive line all the time that's a problem So how do you correct that problem? Or how do you overcome that problem? Get him rolling out. And I felt like the Browns did a lot of that on Thursday. They only ran two play actions against the Ravens, which was surprising. Um, But they were really able to run that well against the Bengals. So I think that for Baker, you know, he's tried to do too much at times. And that's why the interceptions have happened. He's now thrown a pick in eight straight games dating back to last year. He just has to play within himself. He makes – he tries to do too much at times. Like even, even last Thursday, he went for the jugular. In this league, you don't always have to go for the jugular. You just got to do what it takes to win. In this right. league, it's hard enough to win. You don't have to win by 20. Just win the game. You put yourself at risk sometimes when you go for the jugular in this league. I think he's just got to mature a little bit in those areas. 
I do feel bad for Baker because like you mentioned, this is his fourth coach in such his young career. And that's, I mean, that's tough on anybody. Um, but he has such a talented roster, not only on the offense, but the defensive side too. I mean, you have um, Miles Garrett, you have uh, Denzel Ward, you have a bunch of these names and you also have some guys on offense with, you know, they have some room to grow. You know, they're still young. You're still on that first contract. You have a small, you have a window. It's not too big. It's not too small. You have a window to win now, but you have two teams in your division that are pretty fierce right now. I mean, the Ravens, like you mentioned, are a Super Bowl team. Uh, some may say they should have made the Super Bowl last year, but of course the Titans beat them. And then the Steelers have come out two weeks in a row with a very strong defensive play. What realistic expectations can you see from the Browns this season? Well, I think they could be an eight and eight team, maybe nine and seven type of football team. You know, they face the NFC East, which we've all watched through two weeks and it's not any good. So they can take advantage of the NFC East. You know, still on Cleveland's schedule, they've got one win. They've got Washington. They've got both New York teams, okay? They've got the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've got these teams at home, Eagles. The Eagles offensive line against Miles Garrett, Sheldon Richardson, you got to think that the Browns – like at the start of the season, you probably would have taken the Eagles. But now I don't know if you would be in that same boat knowing – Oh, there's a legit chance that the the Philadelphia – yeah, they're going to – they might carve them apart. Good. Could do that. So you have the Raiders at home, toss-up game. For me, the Browns' season comes down to a couple of games Um, because I just named you a couple of games that I think they'll win. So I've got them at like – and I hate to play the schedule game, but let's face it here. There's some really bad teams in the NFL. The Browns should beat Washington. They should beat Jacksonville. They should beat both New York teams. They should. Now, it's hard to win in this league, but they should. That's five wins right there. For me, there's three games that this season comes down to. A home game against the Colts, a home game against the Eagles, and a home game against the Texans. Those three games are critical for Cleveland because those are all three teams, uh, not the Eagles, but the two others, are teams that are, you know, could very well be in that wild card mix. So I think that the Browns could be the team that gets the third wild card. I think they're going to be right there, you know, into those final Sundays, sort of in the mix. They're good enough to be in the mix. They're a well-coached team. I really do think they're a well-coached team. When was the last time you said that the Browns were well-coached? I think Stefanski is a very nice – I don't know, ever, yeah. (laughs) Best play calling I've seen by a Cleveland head coach in years. I'm I'm talking about years. So I thought that 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 was a step in the right direction. Again, I'm not going to get my hopes too high. I'm being realistic here. I'm not giving you 10 or 11 wins. I think that they're an eight-win football team that could get a ninth win if things stack up against them. And if you get to nine wins with them taking an extra playoff team, maybe the Browns make the playoffs. And if they could make the playoffs for them, that would be a big step. Because then what you can say is, all right, we finally, finally broke this Cleveland drought. What do we do from here to get to the level of those top teams in the AFC? Find a way to the playoffs. That would be a huge step forward for Cleveland, who hasn't been in the playoffs since the early, early 2000s. Will we see you in the seats at First Energy Stadium if they do make it that far or have the potential to make the playoffs at that point? Well, I've always said that I would be at their first playoff game. I'd take the day off from Big East too. <laughs> but, you know, you don't, you don't know, right? I have no idea what we're going to be looking like uh, uh, in January. My God, if they are there, you know, it, that first home playoff game, I don't think the Browns will host a playoff game this year. 
whenever that day comes and they host uh, somebody uh, in the playoffs, I know that it'll come before I die, which <laughs> I'm giving them 50 years and change here. To, to oh, Jesus. But I mean, I think it'll come before <laughs> then. Um, I don't know. You know, I'd love to be there. I really would. I would love to be there. I've always said I, I want to be there when they make the playoffs because, you know, we've been through enough painful Sundays that we should get to, to watch something like that. So I hope that day comes. You know, right now I'm a Browns fan, so focused on Washington this week. The Browns haven't been 2-1 and one guys since 2011. Wow. And they haven't been over 500 since 2014. So oh. Washington on Sunday – all of a sudden, Cleveland's two and one. They're going to be getting talked about. They're going to be two and one and heading to Dallas to meet the Cowboys. Yeah, that's very. That's a very interesting perspective too. So keep your eyes on the Browns. Before we hop into baseball, real quick, I want to get your opinion on more football stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Injury bug hit everyone this week. Hmm. Who do you think is going to be the most hurt? I, I think Saquon's loss uh, is definitely the. Uh, on paper, the most hurtful for any team, right? Are you thinking the same way, or is there other losses that we, you know, should put a little more weight on? Well, I think that for the Giants, they were already a team that was going to probably win five or six games with or without Saquon Barkley. Like, uh, with Saquon Barkley, they might win six games. Without him, they might not win. This year, it was a tough schedule. Tough schedule. So, I don't consider that as big of a loss. I consider it a huge loss for the Giants, but in the big picture of the sport, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit here. I didn't think the Giants were a contender with Saquon Barkley and right. without him, certainly no. Um, if you look around the NFL, I mean, the 49ers have got to be concerned here. Nick Bosa goes down, season ending. That's huge. I mean, that totally changes the threat that you have in your pass rush. Jimmy G, you know, should be okay, but what if something lingers? What if something gets worse for him? I mean, he, he's developed so well in San Francisco they're on the same page with him um, there with running that offense. I get real concerned about that. Raheem Mostert looks like they've got a good backup in, in McKinnon who ran for a long run yesterday. But, you know, for the Niners, injuries have piled up for them. Uh, they're, obviously, they blamed it on the MetLife turf. I, I don't know about that because they played it in there the week before. I thought that was a little bit um, unprofessional. Forced. Yeah, it's a little bit of a force. Forced narrative a little bit. But I, I would be concerned if I'm San Francisco, you know, for San Francisco, it's tough to get a gauge on them week two. But you do wonder, because they were facing the Jets, who are just terrible. I mean, they're, they're a sad excuse for <laughs> the football team. They're far and away the worst team in the sport now. And uh, Adam Gase should be fired immediately. I agree with everything you just said. Because yep. he's ruining Sam Darnold. You don't want to he is. That's a very good point. He actually, because people are just talking about how shitty of a coach he is, but he's also negatively affecting a quarterback who's not – Never a superstar. People said it. You know, maybe he had the potential. But, I mean, you, you're ruining the potential of a good quarterback at the very least. Oh, you are. You are. You are totally dampering a quarterback's confidence level by having a coach who calls himself an offensive genius. Yeah. yeah. On, Sunday, <laughs> on Sunday, on fourth and seven against the Niners, in a game that you're down, what, 24 to three at the time? Yeah. He brings out his field goal unit. Talk about a loser mentality. I mean, they're a sore excuse of a football team. I'm sorry. The, the Jets, it's sad times. So it's tough to get a, a pure gauge when you're playing the New York football Jets. Football shouldn't even be attached to them right now. Um, because, but for the Niners, their week one, you know, they lose the Cardinals. Um, but that's the flip side here. Going away from injuries, the team that stood out to me the most through two weeks, 
the Arizona Cardinals are going to be a playoff team this year. They might have – they've got one of the most valuable players. I want to see Kyler go up against Russell Wilson. I think the Seahawks could be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, they're in the same division now. Exactly. Yeah, so we're going to get them twice. We'll get it. (laughs) NFC West, guys, you're talking Cardinals, Niners, Seahawks, Rams. I mean, are you kidding me? The Rams have looked great through two weeks. They're 2-0. and Yeah, and the Rams, that's another one, you know, how well uh, Daryl Henderson's going to slide in and, and all this are. stuff. So, yeah, because Akers and Brown might be gone for a bit, but um, we'll see. Than Todd Gurley right now is trying to get over a 40 to 39 loss. <laughs> yeah, he's in the – they're in a lot better shape than he is for sure, but – um, football is going to be very fun, and I, we're going to have to have you back as the season progresses too because we've got a lot more football to talk at, at throughout these next couple of weeks. I want to be a guest for a third time. You're there. Oh, you, you said it. You just manifested it. So, <laughs> um, Moving to baseball now, John. The Cleveland Indians, um, th- that's another peculiar kind of scenario, right? Um, really good talent and there always has been um in a way they kind of I I think it's unfair to say that they sold at the deadline although you know Clevenger was a big name tossed around but tell us what you're thinking on the Indians man you cover these guys every night you watch them um, pretty much every game and I'm curious to hear what your optimism is and maybe uh, what we've learned as we head into the playoffs next week well, the good for the Indians is that they lead all of baseball in starting rotation ERA, Insane. in starting rotation Insane. strikeouts. I mean, I, I put this out here a couple hours ago. Bear with me here as I, as I take a look and, and pull this back up. They lead MLB with a 2.97 ERA. They lead MLB with 315 innings pitched. No one else in Major League Baseball has more than 290 innings pitched. So that's 25 more innings than the rest of the sports, at least. Wow. They lead MLB with 360 strikeouts. That's 20 more than anybody else in sports. Now, we're on the starting pitching topic. These pitching. are the starters. Yep. Yep. Starting wow. rotation here for the Cleveland starting rotation. Second in whip at 1.07. Tied for the MLB lead with 22 wins. This is the rotation. So the rotation alone has 22 wins. Credit <laughs> to that. You know, when Cleveland leads late, uh, they've, they've locked it down. The pitching's been good. They've got James Karinchek. They've got Brad Hand. Who's, who's 13 for 13 on saves this year, hasn't blown a save. Yeah. You know, they, they've been a team that when they have the lead, if they get a lead on you, it's very difficult to come back against them. They have a wealth of pitching. The bad news, they're not a team that comes back because they're not a team that scores. Um, the Indians lineup has had a tough year. Their OPS, right around 680. It's near the bottom of the league. Uh, their bottom three hitters this year have combined for a batting average around 150. So the Cleveland starting lineup has not been strong in the back half. They hinge on Jose Ramirez, who's got 16 home runs now and is uh, creeping in that, that home run race. I think he's, I I have to look it up. He's close. Yeah. He's in the top 10 probably or something like that. Yeah. He's closing in. Um, He's closing in on Luke Voigt a little bit. He's got 16, but that's still five behind Luke Voigt. Jose Abreu with 18. They, they hinge on Ramirez and Lindor, and then they need Carlos Santana and Fran Reyes. Santana's hit below the Mendoza line this year, and they didn't expect that, and that's your cleanup hitter. So that's Cleveland, bad. Cleveland does not have the offense for me to say right now. And look, October baseball can get weird. Teams catch a wave, and you never know what happens. I think the Indians' best hope is, is that Shane Bieber, Zach Plesac, Carlos Carrasco, who have all been excellent, 
you know, they're going to go as far as the starting pitching gets them. They've got the nastiest rotation in baseball. I would not want to see them on a bracket in a three-game series. Beyond that, though, guys, I just don't know if they have the hitting to sustain a whole lot. Certainly things can change, but I just don't think – like, I look at Tampa Bay. I think that the Yankees are a bad matchup because the Yankees could outmatch the Indians. You know, I think of those two teams. Um, I think of Oakland. Oakland does everything the Indians do but better. Yeah. <laughs> well, I look at those teams. I think that they outmatch them. I think that the White Sox, like the Indians are, as we do this podcast, the Indians are up on the White Sox. Again, the Indians could go 5-2 and two against the White Sox with the win tonight. The White Sox have been the best team in the AL Central. But the White Sox don't seem to bother the Indians because the Indians pitching handles White Sox hitting. And if you do that, you beat the White Sox. But I think that for Cleveland, they're a, they're a good baseball team. They're just not a team that's, that's capable, I don't think, this year of making a deep, deep run. They could win a series. Beyond that, it's uncertain. But, hey, baseball's uncertain in general this year. This postseason is going to be wacky. Exactly. And if the season ended today, I mean, currently you're third in the AL Central. But if the season ended today, as the seventh seed, you guys would be facing, yeah. you guys would be facing the White Sox. So – I mean, what you just said is if, if the Indians can pitch to the White Sox and be able to, which, again, the White Sox have been – I mean, good for them. Good for them. You know, make it to the yeah, playoffs. I don't they, like, they, they are a young team that has just, you know, built that core, and everyone's like, oh, it's the White Sox, like whatever. Like, but they're doing well. But how, how do you think in a three-game series that if the Indians are facing the White Sox tomorrow, how, what do you think the outcome will be? I think it's a series that Cleveland takes two or three from Chicago in. You know, it's tough to get any sort of a gauge, but I actually like the Indians and the way they match up with the White Sox a little bit better than others. The series would be in Chicago, but, you know, what does home field advantage matter this year? It really doesn't. So, um, I'll, and Cleveland's actually been a pretty good road team, you know, they, this year. They've had a very nice season on the road for the most part. So, I think, let's see, let's see, 14, let's see, 18 and – yeah, Cleveland's 18 and 12 on the road this year. They're 18 and 12. So they've actually been a more comfortable road team than they've been a home team. And you're going to have to travel in these playoffs. I mean, Cleveland's going to have to go, theoretically, from either Chicago for the White Sox or Tampa Bay against the Rays, whether you're, you're any of those teams. You've got to fly all the way out to Los Angeles. You've got to fly all the way out to San Diego, one of those two spots, to play your playoff games. You know, it's – it's certainly wonky. It's unlike anything we'll ever see again, but that's the pathway for baseball this year. I want to talk real quick about the return for Mike Clevenger, too. Cal Quantrill's a big name that comes over. Paul Quantrill's kid. The Yankees took him in 2013. He said no. Then the Padres take him a few years later. Is that not the best possible thing that the Indians could have asked for from you know, the Padres, or was there more to be desired there? Well, I think that – the Indians did not get enough in return. I mean, there, there's, there's, we won't know. We won't know who won the trade until years from now. But I think when you're trading a guy as good as Mike Clevenger, to not get a Padres top five prospect, it was hard to look at that and Bad. say, yeah, they got a proper return. You know what I mean? They, they got uh, Gabriel Arias, who could be their shortstop of the future. And if he is, this take's going to look terrible, you know, because then I, I said they didn't get enough in return. But if they got their replacement for Francisco Lindor, you know, in a couple years, then all of a sudden things swivel. Lindor's probably gone after next year in all likelihood. I'm saying if Arias develops and is 
a guy after the after a holdover shortstop that could be their next shortstop. But we don't we won't know until down the road. But that's the very problem. You know, Cleveland didn't do anything for the now. You're a playoff team and you didn't bolster your lineup. Yeah. So for me, I sit there and say, did you get enough in return? Not for the now. You got Josh Naylor, you got Austin Hedges, you got Cal Quantrill. That's a nice pickup, but it's not like the bullpen was ailing. It's not like the bullpen was a bad bullpen that greatly needed help. And Quantrill's a guy that's not going to come in and give you Mike Clevenger's stuff and innings and all that stuff. He's, he's a young kid. He needs some time. Right. They, they did this for the future. They did this thinking Arias and the other pitcher that they got in the trade uh, could, could end up panning out for them. And maybe it does. And who am I to judge the Indians personnel-wise? Because they've proven that they deserve uh, the benefit of the doubt. And so I'll sit here and say, I'll give them credit for all that. I just don't think they got enough in return. I don't think it was a bad move. I understand why they did it, because they were going to likely trade Clevenger in the winter. So they thought they could get even more now than in the winter. But did you help yourself this season? No. And when you're a team that's going to go in the playoffs, that's tough for the fan base to look at and say, you know, yeah, like, I really like the move. If you would have made another move, that could have gotten some outfield help or could have gotten some help for the back half of that order, then maybe we're, we're sitting here saying something differently. But right now, I think, I think it's a tough spot. I think it's, a, it's one of those things where we're not going to know until a couple years from now at least. And that's tough when you're a contender to have a trade like that because it gives off a deceiving message. While we're on the topic of the Clevenger trade, and you, know, you just rattled off the stats of the Indian starting rotation, I do not understand or can comprehend what is in the water in Cleveland for you guys to have this amazing pitching staff, which mind you, the team traded away, not only Clevenger, but Trevor Bauer. And then of course, Corey Kluber. Yeah. And you still have one of the best rotations. What is going on in Cleveland? And you know, how are these pitchers just what, like, what is, the, what is the secret formula? that? And not just him, too, because our guy, Karen Jack, is killing it. Brian yeah. Alum, all these relievers, too, John, is nuts. What's going on in Cleveland? It really is nuts, guys. It is. I don't know what's in the water. It's something about Lake <laughs> Erie, I guess. It's your damn Great Lakes beer. That's what it is. It is. It must yeah. be. <laughs> you drink a Dortmund or you can pitch well, apparently. I guess <laughs> I, I should have drank more growing up. Maybe I'd have a better arm. Then <laughs> uh, I got a stomach. You know, I just – I look at this rotation. They've got four of their five guys are 25 years old or less or younger. Four of your five. So, not only is the rotation great, they're young. The window's open for them to be good for years to – That's come. scary. That's real scary. It is real scary. So, the fact that they could get rid of Kluber, Bauer, and now Clevenger and still have a rotation intact like this is pretty remarkable. The Indians, they've drafted incredibly well. Uh, you know, sometimes people say, oh, drafting in baseball, like, doesn't matter as much as the other sports. Well, Plesak, Bieber, and Savali were all 2016 draft picks, all drafted in 2016. Now they're all starting pitchers as part of a rotation that has the best ERA in baseball. You know, how many teams have that as I'm watching the Indians play the White Sox right now and from El Reyes, it's a sack fly. Uh, but I, I – I look at this rotation and I see a, a bright future. Tristan McKenzie, 23 years old. If you haven't seen him pitch the ball, just oh, he's fantastic. Oh, he's got nasty, nasty stuff. 
Aaron Savali, six pitches. All of them move well. He's kind of a Kluber light. I'm interested to see how he progresses as his career goes on. Plesak has really emerged. Man, he, he's pitching. He's filthy. He's got 50 strikeouts in seven starts to just four walks. And then, oh, by the way, you got the Cy Young lock in Shane Bieber. So, possible MVP. The possible MVP. The possible MVP. Jose, the Indians are a team that they're third in the AL Central, but they might have the best pitcher-player duo in baseball with Bieber and then Jose Ramirez, who's been on fire. And I don't say that bias. You look at Ramirez, his war is 2.8. Bieber's war is 2.9. Those are the top two in the AL. Numbers don't lie. So I think for Cleveland guys, the frustrating thing from, from the fan base is, to give you a pulse on how things are, is that you develop pitching so well, where's the outfield consistency? Yeah. The hitting? Or where's the money to spend? If you just spend a little bit of money on hitting, we've got the pitching. You develop that. You don't spend a lot of money on that. Look what they've done. Bauer, Kluber, Clevenger. They didn't pay him. They said, okay, we're going to make a trade. You know, can they find some major league hitting that's consistent? If the Indians even have an average offense, they're a really, really dangerous team. Yeah. Pitching can be untouchable. So before we've got a couple of minutes left here, let's get your pick real quick on who's going to win the World Series, and then we'll highlight some college basketball real quick. Gun to your head, John Fanta, who do you have? Oh, man, what a tough question. (laughs) You know, I'm going to go with my pick to start the season, and I'm going to go with the Oakland A's. Wow. Okay. That's one we haven't heard on the show before. I like the win. I like like the A's, and I think the A's are going to face – let me take a look at my my updated bracket right now. (laughs) Let's see here. Padres, Dodgers, any one of those guys? You know, I I really like San Diego. I'm trying to think here. I'm, I'm just taking another look at this. I think that we're going to see an A's-Braves World Series. Wow. Wow. A's-Braves. No, no. You know what? A's-Cubs. I'm going A's-Cubs. A's-Cubs is okay. win that series. The Cubs are a weird team again. You know, they they are what they are. I don't trust the Braves because I just don't think they have enough pitching. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, Darvish, is out of nowhere. He's back. (laughs) Again, yeah. I don't understand it after a dumpster fire last year. Yeah, he's been, he's been really good. He's been really good, and the Cubs have been able to find that starting pitching this year with Hendricks, obviously. Um, I just saw Jose Quintana was going to make a spot start this week for them. I'm curious to see what they look like in the playoffs, but I've seen them a couple times this year. I've been extremely impressed. I think the Cubs, this is the best I've seen them play in, since they won the World Series back in 2016. So Cubs and A's, let's have some fun. I can't go with the Yankees-Dodgers, or I can't – you know what I mean? Like – Right, let's 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 throw it around a little bit, okay? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I get I'm it. Surprised if the White Sox make a run to the World Series. Do not be surprised. So I don't think it's right, John, if we have you on to the show and we don't talk any college basketball at all. I know these are the priorities right now, but you're Mr. Big East. Your college basketball is your thing. So let's talk about it. I mean, significant developments since we last spoke uh, on the show. It's November twenty fifth. The season's coming back. Thanksgiving just got uh, a whole new meaning towards it. So, I guess, what were your thoughts when that first came out? Did that surprise you at all? Um, were you expecting something else? What's, what was it like? Excitement. 
I mean, plenty of excitement and, and eagerness to start this journey. I expected that we'd see something around November 21st, 23rd, 25th. And I think it's great that college basketball goes with the 25th, guys, because there's no other pro sports going on that day. There's no other college sports going on that day. They have an isolated window on the 25th to capture the national audience for college basketball. In the past, it started on Election Day or Veterans Day. It's been lost on the sports calendar. This allows college basketball to have an isolated window. Now, there are lots of things to figure out. One, what's the testing protocols going to look like? You know, football, college football can kind of do their own thing because they're not governed by the NCAA. College basketball is governed by the NCAA. There's going to be protocols and guidelines, recommendations that are basically mandatory that are going to be handed out to the 350-plus schools and programs. I'm curious to see what that all looks like. Um, I think, though, the emotion is positivity. We made it to this point. Look what happened to the sport. You know, nearly 200 days ago, it got totally cut off from under its legs. No big dance. So, so sad. So I'm excited for what's to come. I think we're going to have basketball. I think there's a ton of stuff that has to get worked through. So much stuff that's got to get worked through. But you know what? I think I have faith. I do have faith that conferences will figure it out. I think if there's rapid testing, that's going to make playing a lot easier. But I'm very curious to see what multiple team events look like and what the month of December looks like in college basketball because you're going to have some conferences trying to intermix some league play with these teams who are also trying to get their non-conference play done. How that all meshes together, we're going to know here in the next couple of weeks, is going to be fascinating to me. Which agreements get cut off? What happens to mid-major and low-major schools that had these $70,000 contracts? John Rothstein reporting earlier it's going to be like ten dollars to $15,000 now that they get paid. Financially, it's, it's a big blow. But I think we're going to see some level of college basketball, and that's a big thing for the rest of college athletics. Now, it is. You make two very good points. Sorry, Will. The, there's two great points that you just made. Number one is the testing. I think Gavitt has been very clear on what we need to see over the next few months in order yeah. to get to that level, which is great. But the buy games today, as Rothstein mentioned and as you just did now, that's a very significant uh, update in all of this. You know, schools are getting paid a lot of money and tickets and benefits and all of these good things to go and to be quite frank with the rare exception to go get their ass kicked by a, a high major division one team. Um, that is definitely a problem when mm. it's that, that number is getting cut to maybe a sixth of that or a seventh of it. So I'm very curious, you know, as we transpire these next couple of weeks to see how much pushback that gets and maybe if there's any amendment to it. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. But by the same token, I think that those schools are going to be happy to get any money that they can get. Yeah, that's true. Pay back part of that 70000 in the gate that you make. You know, those schools that get attendance. And just through other methods that they make money. So I think it all correlates. I mean, I, I really do. And I think it's going to be hard for mid-major and low-major schools to develop a scheduling plan and to make it all work. But we'll see. Um, we'll see how all this works out. It's, it's a trying time if you're a mid or low major school because you're probably trying to figure out ways to get your program budget to where it needs to be. But let's face it here. These low and mid-major programs, they don't have the money to test three times a week. So will the NCAA develop some cushion or a level of a cushion for those programs to, 
to work through it? Or are they going to give those programs some added resources? I think they might have to, John. They're going, to, they have have to. To. They're going to have to, and they should, because you should do whatever it takes to get to March Madness. Because when you get to March Madness, that is your moneymaker. It drives revenue in all sports. So the head of the snake is the big dance. You've got to work your way up to the head of the snake. And to work your way up to the head of the snake, you're probably going to have to sacrifice some things that you haven't sacrificed in the past. But that whole theory sometimes, there's not enough money. There's just not enough money. Guess what? This is where that money that you've had for a potential crisis situation needs to get pulled out of the Scrooge McDuck pond and put into <laughs> college basketball because the payoff will be a lot more worthwhile than not being able to play and getting shut down. Why we keep you around, John? We need more people like you in the sport. <laughs> After it, and I think Dan Gavitt's done a tremendous job as senior vice president of basketball. That's not just tongue in cheek; it's real. College football is missing a Dan Gavitt. They don't have a commissioner. Yes. They don't have a leader. And then you wonder why games are getting canceled 24 hours before, and why the sport has no uniformity. That's what college basketball has, and I believe that while the season may be on a couple different pages. They have the same author of the book. That's Dan Gavin. In football, you don't have one author. You've got 10. And they're all cooking a different meal. Okay? Right now, I, this is what college football is like. It's like a bad sports bar, food-wise. When you sit down and I order the dozen wings and you order a burger and they bring the burger out to you and then 20 minutes later they bring my wings out <laughs> where's the uniformity you we've all been to that restaurant where we're like where's my side of fries yeah, like what the hell yeah like, why does he get his food yeah why am i the only have you ever been to a dinner with like seven other people and there's one guy that's waiting for his meal yeah that's, <laughs> that's what college football's like that's what college football's like okay i just need college basketball to be an applebee's half apps <laughs> <laughs> asking for give me a price discount and i'll take your frozen mozzarella sticks if it means i'm playing damn right damn right oh, i respect God. the apple go grab me a blue moon <laughs> <laughs> two orange slices just for you two well that's yeah. the thing so you mentioned so you mentioned you know the the difference between college football and college basketball and the uniformity but a lot of people are saying right now that all eyes are on college football to get this right so we can have college basketball what and of, of course you know everything's every day something's new with this virus and the whole landscape of sports are each changing every time what steps need to be made so we can have a march madness uh, i think again again uh, what does testing look like does the ncaa put some money into that to help their schools that are a little bit uh, less less advantaged um the disadvantage some of the disadvantaged schools and conferences do we see that get in place i think that you've got to see real clear guidelines on what they are willing to allow teams to do in terms of travel and in terms of conference play versus non-conference play i think for multiple team event holders it's a really critical time for them to try to figure out when their events are going to be, where they're going to be, securing new venues. We have to see that all get solved. But I, I do think – I don't think that college basketball at this point is looking at every move college football makes. Just because college football has shown in a variety of ways 
a lack of organization. That's not me ripping the sport. I love college football. But I just think that there are times like how are we going to decide how are we going to decide four playoff teams in a season where we got teams starting like a month and a half ahead of others? You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense at times to me when I start to think about it. Um, I think for a sport like college basketball, the competitive balance, you know, you find it more. You find more parity in college basketball. And part of that is you welcome 68 teams to your dance floor. You know, you're always going to have a couple teams that are left out. But I think that there's going to be – there's more opportunity for, hey, if you have a couple games get called or if you lose a game, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's, it's just trying to get everybody – I think there's more avenues in college basketball – to get to March Madness. In a normal season, there are. You know, in college football, you lose a game. You could be on the playoff. In yeah. college basketball, there's a lot of ways for you to get to the big dance. Villanova goes one way, Providence goes another, but they still ended up in the same tournament. Different seedings. But I think that that's the thing that college basketball has the advantage with. And also, less travel parties. You know, college football, you're, you're traveling 120 people. College basketball, what are you, traveling 30 you know, you're traveling 12 kids and some support staff and whatnot. So I, I think that college basketball has to figure out their testing situation. The multiple team event holders have to figure out what they're going to do with those MTEs, what, with Feast Week and non-conference play. But the first thing right now is for each team, they're all going back to their conference office, meeting and trying to get that conference schedule done. Once they have that, that's like the skeleton. You know, the non-conference games are going to be the accessories. So I think it's all a gradual progression. But I'm very confident in college basketball. I, I, I didn't think I'd be this confident at this point, but I am. I just think it's a very feasible sport. And the NBA and WNBA have shown us that. The MTEs are another big point. You had people that were going to Maui and Vegas and places that they can't go now, obviously. Yeah. But with what you just said about, you know, the conference plays the priority, I think we, you know, we, we definitely know that at this point. Get the 20 games on the schedule, the rest will fall into place. Now, the MTEs, for maybe, you know, the, the four or five or six games that you're playing out of conference that's realistic, what do we think about, like, a, any kind of regionalized, um, you know, in terms of, like, you know, let's say the Northeast schools get together and say, yeah, we're going to go play in New York for a couple of weeks. Is that realistic? Do you think that's on the table with the right leadership, or does there need to be more that happens to get to that point? Needs to be more that happens. I don't see there being a New York type of bubble situation. I think Mohegan Sun is going to host teams for several games. You might end your MTE and like a, like Villanova, you know, I, I, and I don't know these details for sure, but they're playing in an event that's supposed to be at Mohegan Sun. Yeah. Can they play that event and then potentially get Virginia at Mohegan Sun to tag along with that event? You know what I mean? We did that last year too. Yeah. But in, in the normal world, Virginia was over there. So you had those national teams coming up and, and going in Connecticut and all that good stuff. Right. So that's what I look at. I think you're going to see games get tagged along or at an MTE. Sometimes when you only face like three schools, two or three schools, you might play an extra game that you wouldn't otherwise play to, to get the game in. You know, for these schools with 20 game conference schedules, think about this guys. For these schools with 20 game conference schedules, if they're in an MTE, that's two or three games, probably three games, right? Conference challenge. That's a fourth game. If not, you have five games taken off your plate. Then you only have two games left. So you could either get those in at the site, or if you are scheduling a lower mid-major, guess what? You want to face them in your building. 
You know, you're going to want to play in your building. That's what coaches want. Coaches are going to want to beat a couple cupcakes. Okay. It's what any coach wants. You got to win a couple games, like, or at least as a coach for your sanity, cross off a couple wins off your list. That's what every college coach wants to do. It's why Mike Krzyzewski's trying to, to schedule his own MTE at Duke. And uh, I'm talking to Chris Mack this week at Louisville. I want to hear what he has to say. He's trying to schedule his own MTE or, or his own bubble at Louisville. You know, these coaches still like the idea of being able to host if they can. Um, but I, I think that with MTEs, it's going to be a real um, – it's going to be like your Thanksgiving buffet. I mean – Quite literally. Quite literally. You're going to see all different kinds of MTEs. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I just hope I'm stuffed at the end. So one thing that's, you know, really interesting that we're going to have to keep an eye out for college basketball is players opting out. Uh, we saw in college football, there were some big names, you know, Mika Parsons from Penn State linebacker, Jalen Taiwan from Pitt, um, Rondell Moore from the star wide receiver from Purdue. These are guys that are saying, you know what? Um, college football is a mess right now. I'm looking forward. I'm going to be, you know, a, a first round pick, a second round pick in the draft. I'm just going to say, you know, nix the season, sit out and prep. Do you see a lot of players opting out in college basketball for this season? No, no, I don't. I think college football was just so weirdly handled that then it led to more of that. I do not see college basketball seeing players opt out. Mm-mm. I, I just I, don't, I don't think that's a thing. I think you, you could have seen more of it if we were at this point and we still had zero answers. You could see some players try to go overseas to make their dollar with no guarantees of a season. We're going to see college basketball. I think for college football, with how long they took, we got to the beginning of August and we weren't totally sure if it was going to happen. That thing causes players to get proactive. College basketball has done a nice job of communicating these things to players. And as a result, you're seeing less players do that. I don't think we'll see the same problem. And on the topic of just things happening in college basketball, too, I think, John, if you applied for a waiver right now to play this year, you could probably get one. With the amount of waivers that the league is handing out yeah, on the transfers, you know, it's like, it's, oh, it's like the Oprah Winfrey show when they gave out cards. Yeah, it's you get a waiver, you get a waiver, everybody gets one. So I don't know, John, that there's been a recent time in history that has, well, obviously nothing like COVID for sure, but the just the, the more flexibility we've seen from the NCAA this, uh, you know, these past couple of months with the, the handing out of waivers and getting guys, uh, getting guys in there. Right. Um, it, it's almost unprecedented at this point. Yeah. And I'm okay with it. Um, I know that, that there's people who argue that they shouldn't be giving out waivers. These are unprecedented times, you know, they really are. And I, I'm also, I'm always the belief and I know coaches disagree with this, but here's the thing guys. I think as a student athlete, you should be required to go to your coach to talk to them about transferring and why you're doing it. That said, if you decide to transfer, you know, you're 18 years and older. You know, you're a man. You're a young man, but you're a man. And regardless of the rule change, we're seeing nearly 1,000 transfers. So – why are we having them? If you, sit, if you choose to sit out, which I actually think some programs will still have some kids sit out and exercise that. And I think that that could be valuable. I think the sit out year can be valuable. But why are we, why are we forcing kids 
to sit out for a season and waste a year of what they could get professionally if they go and play professionally just to prove a point about transfer. Yeah. Very petty yeah. to me, and I don't agree with it. Well, it's good that it's moving in the right direction, I think, and, and that's, that, that's very good, and I, I, I agree. We're seeing this. That's how it should be. I, I'm very much in the same lens with you. Um, Indians are almost wrapped up. I know you've got to get going pretty shortly for the post game, so we'll, we'll finish up our questions. Um, November 25th comes around, and you get to go to one Big East team or venue of your choosing – who, where are you going? Where's John Fanta going to be in the perfect world on November 25th? Uh, it's, it's a great, great question. Or maybe it's not the Big East. Maybe it's anywhere. Well, I mean, I think I'd love to be a Mohegan Sun or, excuse me, the first choice would be Orlando. Because yeah. I sunglasses on, enjoy the warmth, and enjoy so much basketball just through the roof. If I had to pick one Big East school to go to, you know, for me, there's something about walking into Hinkle Fieldhouse that just says basketball, and you combine that with Butler Blue. I could see a dog, see pretty good basketball, and be inside a, a cathedral that you'll always feel <laughs> safe inside Hinkle. So that would be my answer. Uh, in the Northeast, I always feel at home at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. So do you, Jake, when we know what that's like. I would love to be there. Uh, I know I'm giving you multiple answers, but I can't wait to get out to UConn because they are back in the Big East. Yeah. Anytime I watch Dan Hurley coach live, I get excited. Way too early prediction. Who is at the top of the Don't Big do East? it. Don't do it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no you're gonna Who's at him. the top of the Big East? Well, after your recruiting notes that you've been tweeting and – It's not even close. I mean, I'm sorry, but Villanova might be number one in the country, if not number two. They are far and away the best team in the Big East this upcoming year. I think there's a battle for second. Because Tyshawn Alexander's out at Creighton. I think uh, that Seton Hall can close that gap. I think Providence is a candidate. I think UConn. UConn returns over 70% of their scoring and welcomes in a top 25 recruiting class. You know, they've got R.J. Cole who comes in. They've got James Booknight back, Andre Jackson, Tyrese Martin, the, the Rhode Island transfer, a cook yeah. healthy, Adama Sonogo. The Huskies are loaded from top to bottom. They have a complete roster. The timing fits their re-entry into the conference. But nobody, in my mind, the point guard that is Colin Gillespie, um, the wing that is Justin Moore now kind of taken over for Sadiq Bey. I think Moore's got a sky-high ceiling. The front court pieces, Jermaine Samuels, veteran, a mix of a rising sophomore talent, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Villanova's got a completeness to them offensively. They have a couple of reinforcements in Caleb Daniels and Eric Dixon. The Wildcats have what it takes to win what would be their third national championship on the last five tournament appearances. Remarkable. It's very remarkable. I'm looking forward to Big East basketball. Folks, this has been John Fanta. John, you are the, again, this, the first recurring guest on Beers, Business, and Balls, and for that, we, you get another chance to plug all your social media and where our listeners can engage with your content. I cannot wait. Cannot wait for appearance three. I'm already excited for it. Can <laughs> I come on? I'm drinking a beer with you guys. You should. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And hopefully we can get an appearance for something in Providence, but you can come to the studio and then we can walk down to the game. Count me in. I'll buy the first round. <laughs> social media handles, John. Where can we find you on Twitter? At John underscore Fanta, J-O-H-N underscore F-A-N-T-A. That's where you find me on Twitter, on Instagram, 
IndiansBaseballInsider.com for baseball, at Big East MBB, at Big East, at CBB on Fox on Twitter for college basketball, and for Browns takes, or if you want to hate on my Browns, at John underscore fans, I'll take it. I love it. And love being on with you guys at BB&B. You guys do a great job. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. Take it easy. You too. That was just a recurring guest, friend of the program, John Fanta. Love having him on. Like I said earlier in the show, and I hope you enjoyed the interview, can talk to that man for hours on hours on sports. Uh, we're really thankful that he came on the show again. I mean, the man is busy, 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 not only with college basketball returning, but the Indians, you know, they got games and he's covering them every night doing the post-game recap. Uh, so yeah, hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, so I'm currently back and forth between like writing the description for this episode. And I, there's only one thing that I can recap this episode with and it's John Fanta is enshrined in the Beers, Business, and Balls Hall of Fame. He is the first ever recurring guest. And who better? Who better than the man himself, John Fanta? Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I don't think I've ever met anyone that's more passionate about what he does than him. But he's also a beer guy. Like, that's sick. <laughs> he, he fits the mold of this show, and we hope that you guys are feeling the same thing. And I, I can't wait well until he comes out here. We go and see Providence beat the shit out of, like, DePaul or somebody, and then we go <laughs> grab some beers. Absolutely. Okay? I can't wait for that. So that's our show. We've got Positivity Corner, um, and then we will take you home. So, Will, what do we got? Yeah, so coming in live, another local pick uh, from Woburn, Massachusetts. We have 72-year-old Gloria Scott uh, calls an electrician to come repair some lights in her home. The, electri the electrician showed up to the house and noticed that it was in bad condition. I mean, the house was just falling apart. Um, a lot of work that needed to be done, but unfortunately, uh, Miss Gloria Scott could not afford some of the renovations. She, you know, is just on limited income and money's tight, especially during the pandemic. So we have the electrician who his name is, getting that off the top, Mr. Kinney. And Mr. Kinney, he went to the local community in Wilbur, Massachusetts, and assembled a large crew of a bunch of different people, uh, you know, not only carpenters and electricians, but just the whole community. And they helped rebuild the house for no charge at all. Uh, love hearing those stories, especially, you know, in the New England community and wherever uh, we're located. It just, you know, there's still some good people in the world. Times are tough. You know, people run, run out of their luck and there's still people looking out and being guardian angels. So Love hearing that from the Good News Network. And, you know, if you have any positivity corners that you want us to highlight, shoot us over a DM and we'll uh, definitely showcase it. Yeah, our positivity corners range from stories like this, uh, which have been a lot more of lately, to like, you know, John B. and Sarah Cameron are dating in real life, right? So it's just if, if you think that you've got something that's going to make somebody's day better, we want to hear about it and we want to we want to publish that shit right here. Um, that's all we've got for this week's show, episode 23. Um, we've got a full slate of football coverage this year uh, that I'm sure, you know, we, the feedback's been great. 
We've got a full AFC East platter. We've got a lot of uh, NFC East material too. So this is really good stuff. You've got football content coming from us. You've got gambling uh, lines and, and all that good stuff. I'm not using the proper terminology, so Sam will have his time for sure. But um, this is good stuff. Again, real life takes from real people. It's, it's the mood. It's, I think you typed that at one point, and I, that, it's just sticking. It's sticking. So what do we forget? Are we good? The blogs are coming out, um, not only with football, but obviously Boston Beers, Ryan Denson's covering a lot of the beer stuff. Uh, Chris Handel's doing an amazing job covering hockey, um, as well as different business news and uh, sports news as a whole from the whole rotating uh, list of bloggers. So keep an eye out of that, house-enterprise.com. For our own personal brand, we're going to get some merch coming out shortly. Uh, as John mentioned, I mean, reoccurring guest Hall of Fame, he deserves something, and that's been in the talks. Uh, we've put that on the back burner, but in the next com- couple weeks, we're going to see stuff. And of course, if you're interested in our beer from House Brewing Company, pumpkin beer coming to you soon. Jack O all trades. It looks looks good. It's dark. She's she's real dark. She's got a little pumpkin settling underneath, but I can't wait. It's a little cinnamon, a little brown sugar on the rim. Pfft, sign me up. Mm-hmm. That is our show. As always, you can listen to us on Spotify. You know where to find us on social. That's Will. I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy.